I wonder if this very day you could get alone with Jesus somewhere, maybe on a mountaintop. It would be a mountaintop experience, wouldn't it? To be alone with Jesus or to be there with a friend. I hope if you have the opportunity to be with Jesus, you'll be with a friend that you won't come alone. And there you are, you're in this wonderful situation, and you have the opportunity to ask Jesus anything that you like. I wonder what you'd ask Him. I wonder what you'd ask Him. You only get the one ask. What would you ask Him to teach you? If you were to ask him to teach you something, what is it that you would want him to teach you? I don't know. I think I know everything already. I think I'm pretty good. In fact, there's some things I think I'd like to teach God. You know, many people in the world feel that way. And very often in our prayers, we pray that way. Lord, I've got to tell you about all these things because I'm sure you don't know. And we pray with that attitude. Well, the Bible tells us that the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him to teach them something. And in all of the New Testament, there's only one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. Did you know that? Only once did they ever ask Jesus to teach them something. What do you suppose that was? To pray. You've been reading ahead. <laughs> to pray. Why do you suppose? And I, I, Because I'll tell you, I ask myself the question, why? why that? Of all the things that Jesus said and did as he taught the people over and over again, he would have a crowd of 5,000, of 4,000. Multitudes followed him. People met him in the, in the sanctuary, in, in the temple. They met him in the streets. They called out to him no matter where he was. He'd go in someone's house and they would gather around and they were always listening to Jesus teach. And they watched him as he as he served the kingdom of God, as he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and as he ministered to them, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why that one thing? Why that one thing? As I, as I read Scripture, I read that Jesus caused the blind to see, the lame to walk. He healed those with leprosy. The deaf were able to hear. Dead were raised from the, the dead back to life. He would be a great person to have. He spoiled a number of good, perfectly good funerals. Do you realize that? They're carrying the body to the grave. Jesus comes along, touches the beer, and the dead rise. Spoiled a perfectly good funeral. He preached the good news of the kingdom. He cast out demons. 
And the good news was preached to the poor. Of all the things that he did, you'd think someone would say, Lord, teach me how to cast out demons. Or Lord, teach me how to raise the dead. Lord, teach me how to cure a leper. Lord, teach me how to do... Show me what you did with Peter when you sent him and he caught that fish and he took some money out of the fish's mouth and he paid the taxes with it. I would really like to know how to do that. (laughs) All the different things that Jesus taught and did. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why do you suppose that was? Well, let's see if we can figure it out together. Jesus said, pray like this. And you'll note that he says, pray like this. He didn't say, pray this. He said, pray like this. This is the model. This is the framework. This is the illustration or the example. And let me tell you something. When Jesus shared this model or framework for prayer with his disciples, he gave to us what I would consider and what many consider to be a basic discipleship model. That as we look through this prayer together, this framework together, we see some basic equipping as children of the kingdom of God that equip you to handle your daily life so that you can serve God and minister in His name. He gives us a framework. He's teaching us about the kingdom that is coming, about a new kingdom. And He challenges us to say, let it begin with me. And so he begins this model prayer or this example of prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven. When Jesus begins in this fashion, he is teaching us God's name. He's teaching us about God's character. He's teaching about God's realm of concern. He's teaching us about our own attitude in the face of daily needs and trials and tribulations. I think of all the names that God has as we read throughout the Scriptures, as you read the Old Testament from Genesis all the way through Malachi, and then from Matthew all the way through Revelation. God has many names, and the different names of God that we encounter typically are names that people have called God as God has met them in their place of need. At a time of crisis, you have a A slave girl by the name of Hagar who finds herself cast out of the house of Abraham and Sarah and she's in the desert and she's crying out and she's afraid her son is going to die. And she names God when God meets her and shows her a well and and tells her to go back. And she names God and says, You are the God who sees me. The God who sees me. And that was her name for God. Abram called God El Shaddai, God Almighty, because God called him out of his country and sent him to a new land. And in different places we see other names for God. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, or he is the banner over us. 
all these different names we see, and you'll have heard of many of these different names. Of all the names, Jesus says, when you address God in prayer, say, Our Father. And later in Scripture, we see that that Our Father really means Papa, Daddy, Abba. It's it's an affectionate family term. Of all the names that seem to distance God, this name draws Him close and says that God is not far from you. He is close. He draws near. He surrounds us. In the Psalms we read, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love, and listen to this carefully, He says, let your unfailing love surround us, for our hope is in you alone. When Jesus says to pray, Our Father in heaven, He's saying that you come to a God who is as close to you as a father and who desires to be a father to you and who is reaching His arms around you and is embracing you. God is not the God who is far off and distant and unconcerned with you. He is the God who has drawn close. And when Jesus came, And parents and disciples were pushing children away. He said, suffer the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he drew them up onto his knee, and he blessed them. And Jesus gave us a wonderful picture of the Father's love for you and for me. As you're going through your difficulties and you're feeling, where is God when it hurts? He is surrounding you with His arms. And He is very close because He loves you. He is Papa. He is Daddy. He is Abba. He is our Father. He is personal. Our Father in heaven. And heaven is not distant. Heaven is all around us. Though we do not see it. Your name be honored as holy. He teaches us the name of God, the character of God, the relationship that God has. And He also teaches us that His name is holy. In our society today, we have lost the distinction between the secular and the sacred, the holy and the common. When Moses came into the presence of God for the first time, after hiding out in the desert and he sees a burning bush and he draws near and he hears a voice and the voice says, Moses, take the shoes off your feet. Because the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. And Moses hid his face because he did not want to look at the face of God. We need to again regain a sense of the holiness of God. That he is other. God is other. God is the one who is outside of creation because He created it. God is not a part of creation, but He is Creator. He caused all things to come into being. 
He is the living God. Your name be honored as holy. You know what they say in heaven? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are filled with your glory. And we have lost what we will gain. We've lost sight of the holiness of God. Because as we, we are afraid to, to recognize the holiness of God, because when we see the holiness of God, we recognize our own unholiness. Isaiah, as he saw a vision of God in the heavens, said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And God sent an angel who took a coal from the altar and touched his lips and said he was cleansed. The holiness of God was now transferred to a sinful man, and that man was cleansed. So as we come into the presence of God, we desire His cleansing. Our Father in heaven, Your name be honored as holy. And then we are taught, and folks, if you can catch this, This should help you understand what's going on in this world today. And as disciples or followers or seekers after God, this can help you to understand what is going on in this world. So often people say, as I look at this world, I can only say, I can't believe in God. If God was really God, why would He allow all these things to go on? All this pain, all this hurt, all this suffering, all this sickness, all this war, this conflict. Jesus says, next we are to pray, Your kingdom come. And in saying your kingdom come, he is telling us that that kingdom is not here yet. The news that John the Baptist preached was repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. The kingdom of God is drawing near. Get your hearts ready for this kingdom that is coming, which tells us that the kingdom was not here yet. If the kingdom is not here yet, then what is here? The kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world. There are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of this world, which sums up all of the governments, all of the rulers, all of the attitudes, all of the heart state that we presently have. He says, your kingdom come. Do you desire the coming of the kingdom of God? Or are you perfectly happy to carry on as things are? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
John says in his epistle, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Satan, the devil. We're modern people. We don't believe in the devil. We're smart people. We're clever people. We're so smart that, well, we've created a world system where people starve to death and where children are abused, where husbands abandon wives and where wives are unfaithful to husbands, where women are sold into slavery, into the sex trade, where corporations can set up and dominate lands and pollute them. Oh yes, we are very wise. We deny the very realities that are around us and then try to blame God for it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Two kingdoms. So what would it look like if the kingdom of God truly ruled in Truro? What would it look like? Maybe that's too ambition, ambitious. What will it look like if the kingdom of God truly rules in your home? That whenever someone enters your home, they say, this feels like being in the kingdom. I sense the presence of God when I come here. Maybe even that's too ambitious because you can't control anything that other people do. You can really only control what's going on in your own life, right? And sometimes you're having trouble with that. So what if we are praying, Lord, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And we start with us. Your kingdom come, your will be done in me as it is in heaven. And we make this a prayer of submission, yielding to the authority and the power of God, recognizing that I need the authority of God in my life because this is a sinful world dominated by evil spiritual beings. And then the prayer changes. Up until now it's all been about God saying your kingdom, your will, your name. And now it seems to change because what's happening now, God is going to show us how I can live with the kingdom of heaven in my life. How can I live as a child of God in the kingdom of God? And we see the change from your to us. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And in saying, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus is teaching us how to live daily for the kingdom, daily for God. And in this, we are expressing our daily need of God. And how to live that daily life. Because God provides His food one day at a time. As you read through Matthew's Gospel, and you come to chapter 6, and you find this model of prayer, and you keep reading on down to the end of that chapter, Jesus is continuing to teach about prayer, and at the very end of it, He's summing it up like this. He's saying, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Making the kingdom of God your priority, God says He'll make it His priority to make sure that you get food on the table, clothes on your back, and shoes on your feet. When I began the Christian life, I said, if this, if the Bible is really God's word, and God is really God, then I should be able to take a promise from His Word, apply it to my life, and see it make a change. And I took that as my life promise. And I've been living the past number of decades trusting God that as I pursued Him, He would provide for my needs. And I've never gone without a meal. I've never gone without clothes. I've never gone without a place to live. God has continued to provide for myself and then my wife when I got married and my children as I had children. God has fulfilled this. But he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then he goes on and he says, now here's where it gets interesting. Forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven our debtors. And the way that he expresses it here, he speaks of forgiveness as the normal language and culture of the kingdom. It's as though God has brought this wonderful place of plate full, or not a plate, a platter full of of fresh vegetables and fruits and meats. And he gives it to us as we enter the kingdom. And this wonderful platter of abundance he gives to each one of us. And he says, go and share this. And as we have received this freely from him, we encounter other people in our lives. And as we draw from this platter and eat of this abundance, we encounter those who have nothing. And what do I do with this platter? I say, oh, what a pity, you haven't got yours yet. No. <laughs> you, you would really like the, uh, the melon. It's particularly fresh. This platter of abundance is called grace. It's the forgiveness of God. When John the Baptist came... He came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close. Repent of what? Repent of sin. It implied that there could be forgiveness. Jesus came. He also said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he went to the cross. And he paid the price of our sin so that we could all be freely forgiven. And we have drunk of that well, and we will celebrate it here shortly. And receiving of this grace, because here's what's happening, folks. 
The more you practice forgiving others, the more you understand what it was for God to forgive you. And when you withhold forgiveness, you're saying, really, forgiveness doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter if God doesn't forgive me either. It's serious business. Forgiveness is the currency of heaven. It's an expression of love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And then He goes on and in this prayer He says, And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And in saying this, Jesus reminds us that the real conflict in this world is a spiritual conflict and you and I are in a spiritual battle. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. My real opponent is not my husband or my wife or my kids or my boss, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And it's because the real battle is a spiritual battle that we see when Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God, He declares the entrance of the kingdom of God by overcoming the king of this world. He cast out demons and in doing so showed He had authority over all of these evil beings, these fallen angels called demons and over the one who is over them all, who is Satan. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he showed that he could stand, and Satan tempted him to bow down and worship him. And Jesus turned away. Satan came again to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, with a temptation to find another way of delivering from sin. And Jesus prayed, Not my will, but thy will be done. Just as this prayer begins, Jesus prayed it himself. And then in some of our translations, we have added another little portion, another verse. And that final verse says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And in saying that and in praying that, we are saying, Lord, I believe. This morning, if you have never surrendered to the kingdom of God, this morning, if you have been fighting against the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God, this is an invitation for you to say, Lord, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to align with the, the spirit of this world, but I want to align and take my stand with you. 
If this morning that reflects the condition of your heart, that you want to say, Lord, I want you as king in my life. Lord, I want what you have. I want to be a child of the kingdom. I want the forgiveness that you give, and I want the power to live for you day by day. If that reflects your heart, I would invite you to stand with me right now and to make that commitment to him. Perhaps it's a renewal for you. Perhaps this is a refreshing for you. Are you on the Lord's side this morning? And I'm not speaking to just those who are discovering Christ for the first time. I'm speaking to you who have claimed to be Christians. Can you take your stand for Jesus this morning? Can you take a stand for the kingdom of God? Can you declare, Lord, I will walk with you? Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus said in closing, in Luke's gospel, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door is opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if she asks for an egg, will you give your daughter a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? And this is the object of that prayer. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we follow that model, it's a model of surrender and acceptance and worship and yielding and inviting God to fill us anew with His Holy Spirit. It's not a rote prayer to simply repeat whenever the occasion seems to demand.